Welcome to Our Jewish Roots with insightful Bible teaching from Israel by Dr. Jeffrey Seif. We travel to Bethel today on Eretz Israel, the land of Israel. Look to the north, the south, the east, the west. All the land which thou seest, to thee will I give it, and to thy seed forever. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Eretz Israel. We're so glad you've joined us today. I am David Hart. I'm Kirsten Hart. I am Jeffrey Seif. You know, people that visit Israel report wonderful experiences with the Lord when they go there. Jacob had an experience too. Heaven opened up for him, didn't it? It did, and the vision of the ladder. That's right. Right? That, that, that's what I think of when I think of Jacob, a stone pillow and a ladder. Come out with a song. <laughs> I know you're just waiting to... We are climbing Jacob's tell. ladder. We are climbing. We learned about it a long time ago, but there's so much more to the story that we need to hear from you today. Well, it's all in the book, and we're going to take a look. Yep. yep. Dr. Seif is teaching on location today from Bethel, but first, let's take a look at Jacob's journey. And Jacob went out from Beersheba and went toward Haran. And he lighted upon a certain place and tarried there all night. And he dreamed, and behold, a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham thy father, and the God of Isaac. The land where thou liest, to thee will I give it and to thy seed. And thy seed shall be as the dust of the earth. And I will bring thee again into this land, for I will not leave thee. And Jacob rose up early and took the stone that he had put for his pillow and set it for a pillar and poured oil upon the top of it. And he called the name of the place Bethel. Great to be here in the land of Israel. Glad you want to go on the journey with me. It's not just about me and you, however. We open up our Bibles and we learn that the likes of Avraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov, the patriarchs, frequented this very place. Now, when I speak of this place in this program, we're going to a place called Bethel. Promises were made to Abraham here and to Jacob as well. Come with me, let's check it out.
father like son. That's what they say. And the saying is reflected well in the biblical text as well, where God does the talking. Now, the reason why I say that, and you're going to see it as I say it, is because God has commended a particular people to have residency in a particular land given to Abraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Here you can see it. Present Israel is just a little sliver there, carved up more and more, it seems, by the month, by political pressures wanting to enclose it. When I look at the biblical promise, however, we see the Lord leading Avraham and his ilk down here, wanting to expand it. Well, our story takes place today with uh, Yaakov, Jacob, in Beersheba, and he is commended to go northward up to Haran to marry. And on the way, he's going to visit this place right here, Bethel. It's a place we're about to visit. And why? Because God visited him there. Let's check out the story. Come with me to Bethel and see what God might say to you as you walk in the footsteps of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob here in the land of Israel. Followers of Yeshua, uh, Jesus that is, have heard of the term altar call. In fact, even those that don't follow have heard the term. They haven't necessarily gone to the altar. <laughs> those that are familiar with the language aren't necessarily familiar with where the term altar call comes from. It comes from the Hebrew Bible. And those of us that have come to the altar, some of us have come with choir singing behind us the song, I Surrender All which reminds me, those who come oftentimes don't come without a fight. As a police officer in another life, I've been in chases and someone says, okay, I give up. Sometimes we're on the run and we just give up and we say, Lord, I surrender. That reminds me of the story for today. We're looking at a fellow, Yaakov, Jacob, and he's on the run. He's not really running from God now, he's minded to run to him and you can see God beckoning him his way. The story, of course, as you may know, if you're familiar with it, is that uh, Jacob has been on the outs now with his brother Esau, who's minded to kill him. And so mom and dad say, you know, this would be a good time for you to go on a journey, son. Uh, so ostensibly, he's sent off to Haran, Syria, that is, to find a wife, but really, in so many ways, he's running for his life. He is on the run big time, and as is the case when people find themselves in a precarious place. At wit's ends it he is, uh, first time in his life he's on his own, his mother's been taking care of him for all of it. He lays down his head, and absent a mother to take care of him and a father to guide him from a distance, he lays down his head restless, and the Lord shows up at a place called Bethel, house of God. He lays his head down, we're told, and he sees a vision of what we call Jacob's Ladder. Another song in the Christian church, we are climbing Jacob's Ladder, has been made popular. Uh, one can think of a fireman uh, going up and down a ladder. That's not accurate, however. Better, I think, is a ziggurat, these uh, steep pyramids found in this part of the world. Uh, a staircase uh, going up to heaven. Well, never mind that. Uh, Jacob sees a vision of God looking to communicate with him. He's on his way out, wondering what his future will be, and the Lord shows up, and he assures him in no uncertain terms at this place that I will be with you. We're told in verse 13, he sees the ladder, and the Lord says, I am the God of Avraham, Abraham, 
Yitzchak, Isaac, and now you, Jacob. And he says, in effect, I will give this land. Very, very, very clearly. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and your descendants. Eretz Yisrael, the land of Israel. This very place. I'll give it to you. He says in verse 15, I am with you. And then he says after that, and I will keep you. Why is it, by the way, today, people that are religious, they claim to be Bible readers, want to say God is not minded to keep the Jewish people, he's not minded to be with the Jewish people, that there's no relationship between Jewish people and real estate? Uh, those that speak that way, they're just not Bible readers. They might be religious in some sense, but they've lost sight of the literature. God, in no uncertain terms, visits this fellow Jacob, Yaakov. His name is going to be changed to Israel, as Bible readers know full well. And there's an abiding promise with him to be with him, to keep him, and that his descendants are bound to a parcel of earth. Very, very, very clear. In response to which Jacob, with this in his mind, how awesome is this place, he recognizes it as the gateway to heaven. He is so touched spiritually, he will then refer to the place that had a name beforehand as Bet El, the house of God, and there he will worship. Those that worship the Lord in the house of God today, respective churches, friends, consider the origin of the altar, consider worship in the Hebrew Bible, and remember we're learning from a man, we're learning from experiences that are bound up with a people, with a land, with destiny, the Jewish people here, the Eretz Yisrael, in the land of Israel. Our offer on this program, whose land is it? Does Israel belong to the Jews? And if so, who says so? In this DVD and booklet, Zola Levitt offers irrefutable reasons why the Jews are the Holy Land's rightful owners. Zola also defeats key arguments that attempt to undermine God's covenants with the Jewish people. Whose land is it? Will arm believer and unbeliever alike to defend Israel's right to the land? Call 1-800-WONDERS and ask for the DVD, booklet, or both. Join us right now for additional content that is only available on our social media sites, Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. Visit our website, levitt.com, for the current and past programs, the television schedule, tour information, and our free monthly newsletter, which is full of insightful articles and news commentary. View it online, or we can ship it directly to your mailbox every month. Also on our website is the online store. There, you can order this week's resource, or you can always give us a call at 1-800-WONDERS. Your donations to Our Jewish Roots help us to support these organizations as they bless Israel. Please remember we depend on tax-deductible donations from viewers like you. For many, a trip to the Holy Land is the dream of a lifetime. The Bible truly comes alive as you see the sites where so many biblical events happened. Come on a Zola tour to see Israel and Petra. See the land of the Bible for yourself. Contact us to reserve your dream of a lifetime. Many of the places that you see in this series, we take you on our tour to Israel. Two times a year, we go both in the fall and the spring. We invite you to join us. You can find all the information right here on levitt.com. 
one of the places that you filmed in uh, on this program, Bethel or Beit El, House of God, we don't actually go to on tour. I, is it open? You got there to film? Well, we'll go off the beaten path a little bit, places where uh, visitors to the Holy Land don't always frequent. You know, tours stay in Israel proper by today's boundaries. Uh, Bethel, of course, belonged to Israel yesterday, but now it goes under a Palestinian autonomy. And, uh, but we sneak under the wire and, uh, and we shoot there. I remember driving by Bethel on tour and these homes are built like five stories high where families all live together. I kind of like that. Well, I like it too. And what's interesting to me about that is the chasm between the rhetoric and the reality. Those homes are, 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 are paid for in cash. They're built up step by step by Palestinian families, many of whom cry poverty and the like. And I don't want to make light of pain and suffering and poverty, but you can drive all throughout Israel, both the West Bank and Israel proper and find Arab Muslim communities that are thriving. And uh, that's an example of it. People think, oh, the, uh, those mean Jews are just keeping those poor Arabs under their thumbs. Well, you wouldn't know that if you look at the real estate because right. these houses are gorgeous and it's paid for with Palestinians earning money uh, from the Jewish state. Which is something that people need to see for themselves. And it is eye-opening to travel to Israel when, you, when uh, the news shows one view and the truth is a totally different other view. And that's what we get to bring people when they go on tour with you know, us. When people go there and they see it, they, they, they really sense the difference between what they hear and what mm -hmm. really is. It's like that with political discourse in America, true, that uh, uh, you, know, you just get different spins on things according to political agendas. Uh, I just like to get to the land. And I hope, too, that you that watch us um, of course, we're, we're bringing uh, Jewish views on biblical news, but I hope you would construe it as truer to what really is at play in the world and in the word. Uh, there's lots of, of spinning things around, but we, we like to tell it the way it is, and hopefully you find value in it. One of the places we do take you on our tour is the Old Jerusalem Wall, one of our favorite places to go. David Dolan is there right now with our history lesson. Let's go there right now. David Dolan's backdrop this week is the old city of Jerusalem, a great vista from which to continue his remarkable saga of the modern state of Israel. Behind me are the walls of the old city built by Suleiman the Magnificent, the Ottoman leader. This area was a center of World War I. The British forces in the area were led by General Edmund Allenby. During World War I, the British High Commissioner in Cairo promised the Arab leader of the whole region, Sharif Hussein, down in Mecca, that if the Allies were victorious in the war, they would help establish a number of Arab states after the war. But he also said that they wanted to keep this area, Palestine, as a separate entity with the idea that the Jews would have a state here, and also to the north, Lebanon, as a separate entity where the Christians could have some autonomy. Sharif Hussein agreed to this proposal. In 1919, his son Faisal endorsed this proposal as well. Well, in 1917, General Allenby, right behind me here, walked by foot through Jaffa Gate after British forces captured 
uh, the city of Jerusalem. He said, I cannot ride, even though he was a cavalry leader with a great horse, I cannot ride where the Messiah walked. And the people cheered as he came into the city. Well, just one month before, the British government in London had promised the Jewish people a national homeland here in Palestine. It was called the Balfour Declaration. Less than one year after the Balfour Declaration was released, World War I was over. General Allenby's forces defeated the Turks up in the valley of Megiddo, north of Jerusalem. The Allies all gathered together a couple years later at San Remo to decide how to carve up the Ottoman Empire, who would get what, etc. And a mandate was given to Great Britain to establish a Jewish national home here in Palestine. And a mandate was given to the French to do the same up in Lebanon and in Syria. And indeed, states were created for the Arabs, as the British had promised. Uh, Transjordan, just to the east of us, was created out of what was the Mandate of Palestine. The Jews weren't so thrilled about this because that meant that two-thirds of the area that they thought they could set a Jewish state up in had been cut off from Jewish settlement. But still, it was implied they could settle everywhere west of the Jordan River, which would include what is today known as the West Bank. But in 1922, Winston Churchill implied that that would not be the case, that the Jewish state would be smaller still. Jews could settle in parts of Western Palestine, but not necessarily in all of it. Well, also in 1922, the League of Nations endorsed this British mandate and the French mandate. But in 1921, before that happened in May, the very first wide-scale Arab resistance to the returning Jews took place major riots in, in the cities of the land. Nearly 50 Jews were slaughtered down on the coast in Jaffa and in many other parts of the, of the area. Through the 1920s, Jews kept coming back. Nearly 60,000 made Aliyah in what was known as the fourth wave of Aliyah. Most of them came from Russia and from Poland. They were city dwellers. Most of them settled not in the farms, but down uh, in Tel Aviv and other places. Well, it wasn't long after that, in 1929, that the Arab pogroms broke out that were the worst in the history of the Jews returning. That was led by Haj Amin Husseini, the Muslim leader of Jerusalem. Hundreds of Arabs poured out from the Temple Mount and over 113 Jews were killed. The Jewish community of Hebron was completely slaughtered. The chief rabbi hung upside down and skinned alive. It was a terrible program, and it was just a sign of the great violence that was to come in the 1930s and 40s. All of this as Jews kept coming back, and that increasing in the 30s, as a man named Adolf Hitler took control of Germany. Critics of the modern Zionist enterprise argue that it's thoroughly secular, nothing spiritual happening here. These people don't even care about God, Bible, religion, nothing. Well, if that's the case, why is it called Zionism, which harks back to Zion, Zion, a biblical place? And for that matter, why is the symbol the Star of David? David is a biblical personality now, isn't he? And why is that flag of Israel, blue and white, reminiscence of a prayer shawl that Jewish people drape over themselves. There's more spirituality going on here than people credit, it seems to me, David. What says you? 
Well, I think that's right. Um, it's true that only about uh, 30, 35% of Israeli Jews regularly go to synagogue, but then on Yom Kippur, it's up to like 70%, and most of them fast as well. And, you know, you scratch the surface of a Jew, you find somebody that has those biblical connections. Right, and you scratch the surface of the Jews, you find some people that are traumatized from the Holocaust, where was God when we were suffering? It might take some time for people to work out that uh, that pain and recover their religious equilibrium. Well, that's right. And yet still, the leaders of David Ben-Gurion and the others, when they met just here in Tel Aviv at Independence Hall to choose a name for it, the country, uh, Ben-Gurion said it has to be Israel. Well, that, of course, comes from Jacob. Jacob got that name from God. So even there, he was a secular man mostly, but he was looking into the book to get the name of the country. It's very Yes, connected. and that's very telling. You can see the connections, to use your word there. The Bible says that people will be brought back initially in unbelief, so even the spiritual skepticism fulfills Bible prophecy. It really does, and uh, it, of course, so literally, we have Israelis coming from over 100 countries, from the far corners of the earth, as Isaiah 11 and other places said. You know, I've been reporting that, all the Russian Jews coming back, and I'll never forget after the scuds fell on this city behind us in 1991, when Yitzhak Shamir, the prime minister, called upon the nation to go to the synagogues and give thanks to God for no casualties. That was a miracle, and the places were packed all over the country with people doing just that. One of a number of miracles that works out in Israel. Your comment reminds me uh, of the statement, there's no atheists in foxholes. That's exactly right. Pushed against the wall, people do tend to turn their hearts upward. Well, they do, and uh, they are doing that more and more here. Yes, there's so much happening here in the hearts and the minds of those that live here. But beyond that and beyond the own self-determination that resonates amongst the people that live here, there's God at work in the world. We see it when we open up the Bible on the one hand and open up the newspaper on the other. We can see congruity as we're observing God watching over his word to perform it here, the Eretz Israel, in the land of Israel. That was Psalm 137, sung by the beautiful Israeli actress. We really enjoy having her being a part of this program. Well, she played Esther for our series for such a time as this. 
She's gorgeous, but also, Dr. Seif, that spot that you and David were just at, looking over the Mediterranean into Tel Aviv was a gorgeous view. Yeah. What a vista. It's a great view, and it's the old and the new. Jaffa was originally the city, and Tel Aviv was a little suburban area, but now Tel Aviv has grown so much and continues to do so. It's it's a beautiful backdrop, Quick and I'm glad to be there. question on that. You said Jaffa. I've heard Yaffa. What's the difference? People call it both. Yeah, it's it's a Yud, the first letter in Hebrew. Uh, there isn't a J. Um, so uh, it's Yaffa in Hebrew, Jaffa for an English equivalent. And I just have to say to all of you watching, if you want to see that vista for yourself, that's literally the first place, isn't it? We get off the plane, yes. we get on our bus, that's the first thing we do once your feet touch Israel is take you to that very spot that you just showed us. With yes, David. it's very meaningful to, to Jews too, Tel Aviv. Uh, the early pictures are striking when it was just sand dunes and nothingness. And, and that big modern city speaks to all kinds of development. And Jewish people will think of dint of determination. Uh, there is that to be sure, but perhaps the voice of prophecy as well, giving uh, a voice to the fact that one day Israel will emerge fresh out of the ashes. Jewish people don't always process things with a religious perspective. In the wake of the Holocaust, a lot are a little skittish about religion on the whole based on uh, the question of where was the Lord when all this happened. Well, Israel is an emergent experience in the wake of it all, but uh, uh, in any case, it is beautiful to be sure. So many takeaways from today's program. David Dolan mentioned, and something that just has resonated in my mind, that only 35% of Israelis attend synagogue. Yeah, and that might even be ambitious to say that, and that might only be because there's a, a large segment of Orthodox Jews in Israel. Uh, Jewish people tend to be secular, and in as much as, you know, people will talk about Christmas and Easter Christians, you know, there's Passover and Yom Kippur Jews. It's not part of uh, social life on a weekly basis. For me, and I would commend to you, I believe in experimental religion, uh, experiential religion, I should say, that is, you know, been touched by God. The reason why I find value in all of this is because the Lord found value in me, and I had an experiment, an experience at a moment that really brought it all alive to me, and many Jewish people haven't had that. You know, the Jewish religion is just that, a religion, as opposed to something that's part of our experience as we make our journey through life. I love what you mentioned about God bringing your soul and your spirit alive as he's doing Eretz Israel with the land of Israel. We can literally see that when we land in Tel Aviv. We see that when we go to Jerusalem and every site in that country is not only bringing people alive in their spirit, he's bringing the land alive. And that's the miracle of Israel. Yes. Part of the life is the love in the land as well, too. Jewish people are gracious people in Israel and warm, loving, caring, and sharing. Christians and Jews all are welcome. Muslims are, come, are welcome to come in peace and be friends as well. Mm -hmm. So much more to come in this series. Thank you for joining us today. We end today's program with Sha'alu Shalom Yerushalayim. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem.